Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Telling the Story podcast. This is the audio branch of the Telling the Story blog at tellingthestoryblog.com. A look at how journalists and everyone reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. I've been thinking a lot about college recently and specifically how journalism and storytelling is taught in college. If you've read some of my recent posts, I did a series asking professors how they advise their journalism students. And today I'm interviewing a recent college graduate who now works on one of the coolest college storytelling projects around. That is the Stanford Storytelling Project. And my guest is its managing editor, Rachel Hamburg. Rachel, welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, first things first, for those who aren't familiar, give me the brief synopsis of the Stanford Storytelling Project and also your show called State of the Human. Yeah, so the Stanford Storytelling Project is an all-campus arts initiative. Um, We do a bunch of different things. Uh, I'll get to the show in a second, but we also have uh, courses, some of which are taught by the faculty director, Jonah Willengantz, on various aspects of story craft, finding your story, telling a story like the stories that appear in This American Life. There's also a course on uh, mythology. And then we also do events. So last year we brought Ira Glass to campus, um, among other very exciting people. This year we just brought Lamini Snicket. We're about to bring the poet Naomi Shihab Nye. Um, and later on we'll bring Julie Snyder from This American Life. Um, so we do that. And then we also have live storytelling workshops, um, that are taught by a professor here on campus, Dan Klein. And then, uh, the last thing that we do is a kind of weekly workshop where we have different guests and staff members, um, teaching an interactive workshop with students about one aspect of storytelling craft. And that's followed by a drop-in session where anyone can work on any project that they're working on that's related to narrative. Oh, and we also do grants. Yeah. (laughs) And when I check out the website, I see links to courses, interviews, grants. Where did this emphasis come from within the school, and why is there such an emphasis on storytelling? Um, So this project originally started as just a small summer grant to produce uh, a radio show and to kind of get more emphasis on oral storytelling around Stanford campus. Um, But I think in general, as it's grown the focus has been both on how to tell a great story, kind of acknowledging um, that that can be a very important skill no matter what field you're in. So even if you're not you know, a humanities person, if you're you know, at Stanford to be a computer scientist and you want to have a startup, it's really important to uh, be able to tell a great story, to get your product going, to get people out there to know about what you're doing. Um, And then the other thing is to kind of acknowledge the way that stories are all around us in the world um, and kind of investigate their power, not always from like a positive point of view, because stories can be stories are an amoral thing. You know, they're they can be used for good or for evil. So kind of like looking (laughs) at the way that um, that stories work on us is a big part of the project as well. Now, I want to get into uh, the radio show and the podcast State of the Human, but but while we're on this subject of storytelling and its importance in society in general, you know, I, I, I look on the website and you describe yourselves as an arts initiative and you just did on this podcast as well. Do you consider or are there aspects of what you teach that you consider journalism as well? And, and do you teach it with certain uh, elements of journalistic ethos in mind? Yeah, definitely. We try to 
um, a lot. Well, I will say that a lot of the pieces that we produce, at least for the radio show, are documentary pieces. So mm-hmm. they're they're focusing often on an interview, maybe with one person, maybe with a few people, and they're trying to tell the truth. Um, and whenever we do a piece that's documentary based, we follow journalistic ethics. So there's I don't know, there's not any weird conflation, but a lot of the stuff that we're doing is more creative nonfiction. So um, it'll come out of a creative nonfiction class and then we'll kind of adapt it for the radio. Um, and that's, you know, that's in a, I mean, creative nonfiction is in a sort of weird place. It's neither here nor there as far as journalism versus other stuff is concerned. Um, yeah. <laughs> now it's, it's funny to me because, you know, I, uh, went to Northwestern university and was a journalism student there. And they made sure that while I was there, I spent at most a quarter of my classes in journalism. So 75% of the classes I took, and this was 10 years ago, but I believe it still exists today at at the school. 75% of the classes I took had to be outside of journalism, just so that I could get an over an understanding of society, history, all of these important liberal arts subjects that inform journalists as we move forward it seems like your program is almost the the flip of that taking folks who are maybe it doesn't matter what major they're studying or what industry they want to go in but allowing them to understand the importance of storytelling as they move into those industries is that a fair way to put it yeah that's absolutely the goal um so there's we've done collaborations with all sorts of different courses including um a science writing course, a bunch of different things. And then graduates from all sorts of fields are encouraged to um, come and tell stories with us. It was funny that uh, Jonah Willengans, who's the faculty director, just did uh, for the NSO, which is the new student orientation at Stanford, he just did his sort of big talk to the freshmen. And it was actually in Hewlett, which is in the engineering section of campus. Huh. So, And the the goal, I think, was partially to kind of remind people that um, storytelling is at play in every field that you'll be a part of um, in your, in your life, no matter what field you're in. Do you also teach about the potential for jobs in storytelling? And let me ask, I mean, what, you know, as someone who just got out of college and, and is, is ah! finding a career in that <laughs> environment as well, what do you tell students who who want to make storytelling journalism th- this whole uh, this whole sphere of storytelling? They want to make that a career. What do you say to them? Um, we just try to help them out. I mean, there's there aren't as many students actually that we that we're talking to who are interested in straight journalism. Um, Stanford doesn't have a undergraduate journalism department it's a it's a master's program Mm -hmm. and those students are very like they they really get those students jobs and they really work with them to make sure that the career aspect of their education is taken care of um but we basically try to give them as much encouragement as we can and we try to bring people to them and get them um give them a sense that you know all of these people are are touchable they're out there in the world Um, and they're, you know, they may be busy and all of that kind of stuff, but they're, they're available to help often. So like we just did an, we just did set up an interview with a guy who's one of the editors at the New Yorker with a student who's a freshman, you know, um, 
and like that kind of stuff. Uh, not not a job interview, to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> An informational interview, no, no, let's no. say. Just she's interviewing him about a story that she's doing about Stanford. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, got yeah. it, got it. That can be very confusing. But basically the idea that like, you know, Ira Glass has said that he was when he was trying to learn how to do this stuff, he would just contact journalists out there in the field and say, like, hey, I'll pay you fifty dollars. Can you please read my stuff or can you please <laughs> teach me something? And I I've done that. And I encourage other people to do that because um, I think that's that's really the way to do it is to reach out directly. Very interesting. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I am Matt Pearl. My guest is Rachel Hamburg, managing editor of the Stanford Storytelling Project. So, you know, I wanted to talk about storytelling technique with you. And, and uh, I know we had mentioned it earlier, but give me kind of the lowdown into the radio show and also podcast, State of the Human. Yeah, so... Um, State of the Human is a radio show that its goal is basically to take a general human experience like um, lying or singing or um, (laughs) recovery and kind of shine a new light on it um, by looking at the current conversation that's happening around that topic and then sort of trying to move it forward by telling different stories. Um, And the goal is to have... um, the stories be produced or about Stanford students, um, as well as, you know, connecting to different Stanford community members like faculty and staff. Um, And, you know, we teach all the students how to produce radio. We teach them how to use a mic and, you know, how to do a good interview and all this kind of stuff. And then we teach them audio editing and all that kind of stuff. Um, And then it's all edited and put with music and um, very much produced into an hour-long episode so, yeah, we do between five and ten of those a year. It has a lot of elements of uh, of NPR's This American Life. I'm sure yeah. you would. Yep, you're <laughs> nodding. Yep. Uh, and also, I, I think I, I probably detected some elements of The Moth and uh, and what they do, uh, The Moth live shows, uh, live storytelling shows. It, it seemed to kind of – your show seemed to have slices of that in there. Um I started listening to it somewhat randomly. I, I, I'm pretty sure I found you on Stitcher Smart Radio. I want to say through the Moth or This American Life, one of those. It was a you know a recommended podcast to listen to, and I've been a listener now for a few years. I think more than anything, what I like most is just kind of listening to young storytellers do their thing because it's it's very raw, it's not very polished, but there's a lot of sincerity there. I'm curious as someone who who you know, who did stories for the show and now oversees a lot of it. What most impresses you about the work that gets done? Oh, wow. Yeah. I think one thing that really impresses me is the willingness of students to draft, (laughs) which, (laughs) you know, is not, I think it's not a glorified aspect of journalism. I mean, in in real journalism, where you're, you're trying to cover breaking news, there's not as much opportunity for that. Um, but when you say drafting, what talk about what we're referring to here? Well, so a student like writing multiple drafts of a, of a story. Yeah. Or? So a student is going to take um, is going to do an interview, let's say, and then they have to transcribe that interview, and then they have to make that interview into a script if they're doing, you know, the kind of majority of the stuff that we do. Um, and then they have to take that script and record their own narration, and then they need to add music. And a lot of the students that are doing this are doing it for the first time. Um, and it takes a lot of work to turn, to take, you know, 
to, if you've never done writing for <laughs> film or radio before, to make a piece that you know could get aired on the radio or be put on pod on a podcast and sent out to ten thousand people. Oh, I know, it's lot, absolutely, it's a lot of pressure, and you know, people are really willing to make something. Um, to spend a lot of time making something good. And I think they, you know, they have a lot of respect for the people that they're interviewing. They genuinely want to tell those stories. It's like when you're first coming to this field, you just realize, um, I think more than maybe seasoned journalists, you know, how vulnerable the people who are being interviewed are and how open they are to telling their stories. And so I think a lot of students are really moved by that and willing to put in a ton of work to make those stories come alive. You mentioned uh, an episode recently that you guys had about recovery, and and I listened to that a few weeks ago, and and it was very impressive. You featured people who, for whatever reason, they were in bad shape, and they took drastic measures to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And as I was listening to that, it reminded me of one of the things that I really like about the State of the Human show, which is that you know there really seems to be an emphasis on individuals, and so this is a thing where you know working with journalists who have been in the business forever they've seen every story and to a certain extent i think they a lot of veteran journalists kind of lose that desire to find what makes each individual story special because they've done every story that there is and they kind of know the the narratives and the tropes and they know how to tell stories easily whereas when i listen to your shows it seems like there's just such an emphasis on finding out each individual's details of their lives and, and just the minutia of their stories. And you really get to, to know someone before you learn how that person relates to whatever the topic of your show is, you know? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that that's, it's still exciting for us to be, to be doing all of that. It's still like a thrill, I think, to hold a microphone up in front of somebody and have them um, share intimate details of their lives. I remember when I was still an undergrad, um, we went out, a bunch of us went out and did a Valentine's day show podcast. And we asked, we asked random people in white Plaza, which is kind of like the central, um, Stanford hub location where everyone passes by. Um, we asked them three questions. One was, um, what was the first time you fell in love? I think one was, um, when was your first kiss just to kind of do a little throwaway. And then the last one was, when have you realized your capacity for love? Um, and multiple people cried just in these, like being stopped randomly um, in the middle, you know, on their way to class or whatever. Um, yeah. People talking about brothers and mental illness or their dog that was, you know, that they loved when they were a child or the first time that they held their baby. Um, and I think all of us were just totally blown away at that moment. It was one of the first moments yeah. where we were like, wow, this is, everyone has all this depth <laughs> and story behind them. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the most exciting things for the students that are working on the project. That's beautiful. Now I, <laughs> I read a recent interview with you where you said you had finally come to grips with the fact that there are rules to storytelling and <laughs> how to properly and effectively do that. Um, talk about that journey <laughs> and, and what do you feel like some of the rules are and, and you know, when do those rules need to be followed and when do they need to be broken? Mm. Wow. That's funny. I, I had, 
I should read that interview with me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> do you not agree with the, with that interview with you now? No, I mean, I think I do agree that I agree, I agree with myself. <laughs> good, um, good, that good. There are, that there are sort of rules for storytelling. And I think um, I can best explain this through story. So um, last year, I helped produce a story that was with a Stanford student who um, – was born deaf and then got a cochlear implant. Um, I remember this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rachel Kolb, who's totally amazing. She's now she's a scholar. <laughs> she's at Oxford now. Um, it's a great story. Yeah. So she's basically the this story is her describing um, what it was like to grow up um, deaf and then the the reason why she got a cochlear implant and then kind of going up to the first time that she ever heard somebody um, speak. And she was actually in the the or uh, the first time that she ever overheard somebody is in like when you get a cochlear implant, you actually can't process sounds if you've never heard sounds before. It takes a long time to be able to actually understand what people are saying. People just sound like beeps or printers talking. They don't sound like anything. Um, so it took her a really long time to be able to parse words. Um, and so she told the story about the first time that she overheard a phone conversation or something. Um, and she was actually with me um, in the radio studio when we aired the show for the first time. And she was partially following along using a script that we'd written for her. Um, and we were talking and she said it was interesting to hear her story um, written by somebody else because it doesn't it's not quite the same thing as as reality, not in the sense that it's. um not true because it, it was completely true. She said all those things. Those It was in the order of events that happened. But a story has a formal structure um, that's a little bit different from how we might perceive, you know, the passing of our days or our, ho- our own complicated histories. So, you know, it began with her deciding to get a cochlear implant and then it ended with her saying, like, talking about this, you know, what was actually, I think, kind of a small moment in her life. I mean, a big emotional moment, but a small moment of just overhearing a coworker and her talking kind of wondrously about how there are words all around us um, that you can kind of, you can almost snatch out of the air. It basically literally added this new dimension to her life. But she, you know, she still was in the radio room reading a script off of it. You know, she's not, she's not a fully, um, she can't fully hear everything that's going on. So it's like we have this, tr- the story ends on this transcendent moment. And then like her life went back to being frustrated about 30% of the time, you know? So mm, um, yep. I think that one thing that we've, we've definitely had to coax students with, um, which has been very hard is if you're doing a documentary, your story, you know, begins in a beginning scene. There's a conflict, there's surprise, there's rising action, there's a climax. And then there's kind of a moment of falling away. Um, and that, that, you know, that story is a compelling way to convey reality. It's a vehicle, but it's not, it's not the ultimate, like, truth that can't encompass everything that you've experienced. Um, so, yeah, that's been a really important thing for us. That's a very interesting take because you're, there really is, you know, there is a person's story mm-hmm. and their life and, and the, you know, the entirety of their life and all the details and all the biographical elements that make that person who they are. But the story that airs on a radio station or a TV station or wherever is not that. <laughs> it's not that person's life. It is that person's life 
or at least a segment or a glimpse of that person's life as interpreted by a storyteller and not just what that person's story might mean to that person, but why that person's story is significant to a wider audience. So in your situation, how that person's story might fit into a show about recovery or Valentine's day, or it, it, you know, it's how that person's story fits into the theme of whatever the show is, which I think sometimes for, if you're the subject of a story like that, that can be a tough adjustment. Yeah. We've, we've, yeah, I, I mean, if you, you talked about how we include a lot of minutiae about people's lives, but what, what's sort of funny is that, like, you you know, we might produce – we're trying to get our story slightly shorter, but we might produce on average, say, a 10 <laughs> to 15-minute story, right? Sometimes we produce longer. I've produced a 45-minute piece, which I never want to do again. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, if this were a news program, these stories would be two minutes long or four minutes long, right? So the sort of four minutes would be an eternity, right? Right. In, in TV, news you know, for you sure. would have had to like climb Mount Everest twice or something. I don't know. So like, <laughs> so like all of this this stuff about like you know trying to get students to be like it's okay, you don't need that, you know, that idea of like kill your babies or whatever. Like, you know, no. it's it was a beautiful moment, but we just don't need it. Like, it's not essential to the story. Like, tell you know, it's like then you would go out into the real world, and that ten minute thing that was so arduous to make is going to be a minute and a half <laughs> if it's on the mm-hmm. if it's on the show at all. So I think it is yeah, it's it's an important thing to acknowledge that this isn't this isn't the full picture at all. One last thing before we move on to the next topic. I uh another thing that I found out about you online, so you'll have to <laughs> confirm whether it's true. Um in your bio on the uh, Stanford Storytelling Project, you write that when you're not working with Stanford, you're busy quote trying to figure out how to make the news more fun without sacrificing clarity or complexity. Um, to what extent are you a, are you in the news industry and, and how is that quest going to make it more fun? <laughs> um, good. So I'm, <laughs> so I've been doing this in a couple of different ways. So one thing that I was a part of um, last year was a, a startup called Social Teeth. Um, and the idea behind Social Teeth was basically to, it was more in the realm of politics rather than news, but the idea would be to um, air crowdfunded ads. Um, the distribution of ads would be crowdfunded um, specifically for political causes. Um, and the idea behind that is just that um, so many political ads are stupid um, because they're, uh, yes. and unfun you know, um, and not conveying of information because they're controlled by, um, they're controlled by, you know, a super PAC, they're purchased by a super PAC or whatever. Um, and they have to adhere to like a very sort of specific platform. Um, so the idea behind that was like, how, how could we make political ads more intelligent, um, more complex, maybe more fun, um, and, you know, get, get those messages out there. So that was one thing that I was doing. Um, and then recently I've been working on, a project called Mashcast, um, which is with Eric Westervelt, who's an NPR reporter, and um, JJ Sutherland, who's another reporter. Um, and the idea behind that is to take um, archival NPR footage and um, remix it um, to give context about breaking news in a way that's kind of interesting and music heavy and stuff. So that, like, you know, with we did an episode, for example, about. Uh, the chemical weapons crisis in Syria. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people in, at least in my cohort, you know, wouldn't, 
wouldn't really know what was going on in Syria um, and didn't know quite where to get all the information and and didn't have the patience to listen to it. And so we we were thinking, you know, well, let's make 16 to 17 minutes about this that uses NPR coverage going all the way back from, you know, 2010 or whatever. Let's air it in a in a snappier way. Um, and kind of excerpt all of that stuff and then and then also give the breaking news um, so that people can listen to it, you know, quickly and kind of get, you know, obviously not a full picture, but at least the basis for understanding the history of something that's going on with all of the best kind of like sound heavy coverage, like Kelly McEvers style covering mm. um, that kind of stuff. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. I'll have to keep posted. On yeah, that for sure. yeah. Uh, this is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. She is Rachel Hamburg, managing editor of the Stanford Storytelling Project. And Rachel, I usually like to use this final portion of the show to ask my guests for their advice for young journalists. You are a young journalist and storyteller. I believe our youngest guest so far. Yeah. So I wanted to get so you give me your advice. perspective. Well, I and I have very little to offer, but I wanted to get your perspective on what it's like out there for someone you know, as a young journalist, someone in your shoes, how do you see the journalism industry, the storytelling industry, and what young journalists can contribute moving forward in it? Wow. So this is, I mean, this is definitely something that I'm still very much in the process of figuring out. So my advice should be taken with a grain of salt. You know, people are trying so many different things out there. And a lot of it is extremely creative and interesting. Um, And it's not like, it's not like you're sort of just doomed to be a social media intern for the rest of your life. Although, you know, more power to you if that's what you're into. That's also very interesting. Um, yeah, so I think that people people are trying all sorts of things. And the other thing is that a lot of these communities are very um, accessible and even intimate in a way that, like, I don't know, I went to Third Coast uh, festival last year, which is this big festival for narrative radio, um, kind of like more human interest radio. It's frequented by, you know, the moth or this American life or radio lab. Um, and I was really surprised by how willing people were to talk to each other there and how, how many people kind of knew each other and were friends with each other and weren't pretentious, but, you know, could, would give you their contact information and would, um, give you advice, um, and I think that that's, that's one of the most important things out there is that, you know, so many people right now are trying to figure out what the future of journalism is. And if you're interested in the future of journalism, they would love for you to be a part of it. So when I, hmm. when I started doing MASHcast, that was just because Eric Westervelt, you know, was a night fellow at Stanford and was trying to develop a digital platform to make the news more interesting. And so he found me and he contacted me. Um, but I've also reached out to like, I've done the whole, like I'll pay you 50 brownie or $50 and a plate of brownies to like 50 brownies. 50 brownies. That is a lot no, of brownies. $50 and a plate of brownies to tell me all your secrets. You know, I've <laughs> contacted people over at snap judgment and, you know, asked for tips on sound design, all that kind of stuff. That's all like absolutely what you should be doing. And it's, I think it's going to be kind of an interesting journey together as people, together figure out, you know, what, what they're going to do. <laughs> I know when I was coming out of school, it was, it was very, you know, there, it was, it was an exciting time to be a young journalist. We were hearing all the, all the death knell rumors about yeah. journalism and the industry, <laughs> but at the same time, the internet was still pretty young. And, and I think it is even now still pretty young and, and we're still kind of figuring out 
the depths of how we can use it. But, you know, certainly there were a lot, the, the landscape seemed wide open, and yet the desire to find, you know, within that landscape, finding a steady job and, uh, and a career path and a way that you could see yourself in the business for several decades and, and stably in the business, that seemed a lot more difficult and traditional. And I'm wondering, as, as you look ahead, you know, do you feel like, as, as much as we talk about all the opportunities that are available, is that something that you can sell to students as like, you know, this could be your career? I just don't, I just don't know. Um, the, I know that when the people who are doing the master's degree in journalism here, they, they really push them hard on the job front. Um, they, they literally will arrange interviews for people like on their behalf, um, job interviews because they know that it's such a difficult market out there. Um, and those opportunities do exist. They're real, but they're, you have to be kind of a hustler, um, to get them. And I think that I do think that hustling is going to be a really big part of it in some ways, you know, it, and it doesn't have to be like, I mean, hustling is kind of an intense word, but like it doesn't in the, in the, yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be a traditional nine to five, you know, not that that exists, but a traditional job at a newspaper being an anchor being, you know, a staff writer, um, although those those do still exist now, but it could be, you know, starting MASHcast and, you know, frantically connecting people. It could look like what Roman Mars did where he crowdfunded his radio program. You have to basically figure out ways to make money. I mean, a lot of these things are I, I worked for Voicebox, which is another um radio show that was successfully run by one woman at KLW. Um, and she got funding from various different arts organizations around San Francisco and independent donors. Storytelling project is partially funded by an independent donor. Um, all that kind of stuff, you know, you just have to kind of make it work these days. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't know if that's going to change. I don't know that it's, if it's going to go more in the direction of kind of making it work and scrabbling things together. Um, but I do think that it is still very possible and that there are lots of different um, new ways to make it be possible. Thanks to like crowdfunding platforms is a huge example of that. Um, and just being able, you know, there's I think there's more of a culture now of, of being able to just reach out to people via email, um, via, via a careful email, <laughs> um, asking for advice or asking for support in different ways. Um, so I, I do think it's possible, but I, I am like, honestly, as a 25 year old, who's hoping to make a career out of this, I, I think it's a little bit scary and it's okay. It's okay to be scared. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Um, last thing I wanted to ask you about too. And, and, and I, you know, I, I, told you a little bit before we recorded this that I was going to ask you about this. I wrote a, a, an article about six months ago about what I learned and didn't learn uh, in journalism school. And I remember, you know, the, the thing that I really took away or that I take away now from my experience a little more than 10 years after the fact is just that 
you know, journalism school wasn't really able to teach me truly the the deepest tricks of the trade because there's only so much you can learn about it until you're in it, doing it five days a week. But there was just something, you know, what I appreciated most was just getting that, as we mentioned before, that just overall education and that desire to, you know, just that appreciation for what journalism and storytelling can be and how, you know, if you look at it with a critical eye, if you if you take the time to really appreciate what you're getting to do for a living, that it's going to make you stronger at your job. And that was the one thing that I don't think I've ever seen in the professional world that has really helped me become stronger as a storyteller uh, and a journalist as well. And I'm just curious for you as someone who graduated eight years after I did and, and is now starting to you know, reap the benefits of what you learned in college. I'm just curious as to what you took away and what you take away from your experience uh, at Stanford and, and what you think were the most essential lessons you learned at college. Oh my God. Um, I would, I would say <laughs> that um, one of the things that, I mean, I think I too, you write about how you kind of go, you went through this little morning period where you were like, Oh, I didn't learn anything in journalism school or I didn't learn the right <laughs> things or something. And I've had to kind of bootstrap my way through these, these jobs. And I definitely went through that period. I was an English major, so less trade, you know, trade schooly than journalism in some ways in every sure. way. Um, and I, and I got a master's degree in English literature as well. And so I went through a period of being like, you know, oh, I don't even remember the books, some of the books that I read last year, um, you know, in a recession, graduating in a recession and being like, how am I ever going to survive? Um, I do think though, at least for me, and this is very specific to my college experience, there were, there were two things that were absolutely vital. Um, one was the ability to look at stories critically, um, being an English major, that's pretty much all you do. You you look at the the at different stories, how they were constructed, what they're doing to you um, in different ways, whether it's the author's intention or otherwise, um, and and how they hold power over you, um, and how to write effectively. And I think that that has given me a a richness that I. Um, that I have undervalued um, just even in looking at, you know, I mean, I hesitate to say the media or whatever, but like watching an election happen, for example, or even now looking at um, all of the articles written about science and scientific breakthroughs, um, like even in the New York times and how, how focused they are on story Um rather than on even sometimes on truth. <laughs> um, it's been incredibly important to me to have the skills to critically interpret what those things are doing and how they're doing it. Um, and I think that a lot of people, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily realize that, that, you know, these things aren't to be taken at face value most of the time. And not not to say that, like, I'm a cynic or that I think that, 
you know, mainstream media is and doing things right. I think I think that that's. And when you say these things, you're talking about stories. You're talking about a story you might read in the New York yeah. Times. You're saying that those things aren't meant to be taken at face value. I mean that they that they need to be taken in the context of being stories. And I know that a lot of people do that, but I think that having having the skills to do that, um, more formal skills to do that, has been really helpful for me. Um, and also even just helpful in understanding the path of my own life or of other people's lives and how their lives are, you know, there've been a lot of scientific studies, um, uh, like either qualitative research studies, like sociological studies or more recently, like more sciencey ones, but looking at the ways that people, um, the ways that people encode facts and it's not through, rational argument it's through stories people the history that people remember is history that they learned from watching Forrest Gump or Saving Private Ryan or whatever um and you can actually people have documented this that this is this is everything that people remember from their high school history class comes from movies that have been in the American mainstream for a long time and I think just acknowledging that those things are not pure necessarily pure truth but are are conveyed on a certain vehicle I think has been super, super, super rich for me. And then the other thing is just connection to people, connection to, to, to really, really smart people, um, who are kind of in it together and, and learning these things together was really important to me. Also, you know, bringing Ira Glass and all that kind of stuff. That was pretty cool. Mm. That was not (laughs) bad, I would imagine. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. Well, that's uh, really, really interesting, Rachel. And and uh, one thing I did learn in journalism school is uh, that I always give the guest the last word. So is there anything that we haven't touched on that you'd want to add or that you feel is germane to the discussion? Um, what's your advice to young writers? Huh. I'm, I'm curious. Well, or do and- you see yourself as an aggregator of advice only? No, no, no. I, uh, I, I, you know, I think a lot about writing and I think that, um, probably the one thing that I would say to young journalists is the thing that I felt I learned the most in journalism school. And that is to think critically about what you do because, and, and, you know, it's, it's great to hear you talk about the different avenues through which you're applying your craft now and they sound very innovative and very exciting and certainly what i've listened to of state of the human has been it's been fascinating and again just to watch and to listen to rather young journalists do their thing is is wonderful and to do it without necessarily uh respecting all the rules it's a great thing um and i think what happens a lot when you get to the mainstream media especially when you've been doing it for a long time is you start thinking of it more as your job and you, and again, much like I was saying earlier is that, you know, you see uh, when you're in the business I'm in, you see a lot of people who have been doing it for a long time and they get stuck in narratives. They get stuck in what they think they're supposed to be doing rather than what they feel they could be doing or should be doing in the profession. So for me, one thing that has not always made my job easier, but I think has made my, uh, job more fulfilling and rewarding is just thinking critically about what I want to accomplish, whether it's on an individual story or just on a macro level, what I feel like is there to be done in both journalism and storytelling, because it really is, you know, I think 
one thing that I've always admired is even though I've taken a much more mainstream path, I love the fact that, you know, there are people like Roman Mars out there who are crowdsourcing and, and funding through Kickstarter and providing just the rich content that he does. And he's one of numerous examples of people who are really uh, breaking new ground in both journalism and storytelling. So for me, that's really what it comes down to. And, and you know, not just for journalism, but in life as well, you know, is just to think critically about why you're doing what you're doing. And that will go a long way towards guiding you in what you do. Yeah, I, I agree that that's really important. I guess I did have one other small thing that I wanted to say, um, which I think I will laugh at myself later for. But I, I think <laughs> Go ahead. one of the most important pieces of advice that I would have to anyone is to be organized. <laughs> ah, yes. Um, An underrated know. skill in uh, the journalism and storytelling world. It's crazy, especially for people who are more on the artistic end of, of storytelling. I think there's a tendency to think about, to see yourself almost as an artist, as somebody who's like fundamentally disorganized maybe. Um, and that, that that just isn't true, that there are like real skills that you can have that will just measurably improve your life. Like so much of so much of this job is following up you know so much mm -hmm. of this job is being like i just i just wanted to ask you again about you know the message i sent you last week did you get it do you still want to meet up all that kind of stuff just has made at least my life in the last like couple years explode mm -hmm. with possibility and i think that it's something it's not for some reason taught um in college maybe because it's it's seen as so fundamental that it would be almost um condescending to teach somebody how to be organized but I think it's I think it's amazingly important. I don't know. So that's my last word. Be organized. Rachel, I think if you looked at my desk at work, you would you would agree that I clearly need to be taught that lesson yeah. still. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been great. Rachel Hamburg, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Cool. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. All right, and the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Thank you for listening to this episode, the 10th episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.